Building team culture takes work, but what do you actually do in order to help build that positive culture with your dancers? Hi, it's Dr. Chelsea. This is the Passion for Dance podcast, and today I'm going to share an interview with Jennifer Kuntz, who has been coaching for over 25 years. She is a sought-after judge and choreographer and currently owns a very successful all-star studio in Virginia. Jen shares her perspective on setting boundaries and creating that positive culture in the studio, plus some great ideas about empowering her coaches and how they end practices with what she calls the finisher to boost team morale. She has some great advice on how her coaches and dancers discuss wins and losses in a way that the athletes stay humble but motivated and stick around for the end for a great idea to incorporate into your end of year banquet. Here's my conversation with Jen. Welcome to the Passion for Dance podcast. I'm Dr. Chelsea, a former professional dancer and dance team coach turned sports psychologist. This podcast focuses on four main pillars, motivation, resilience, mindset, and community. Each week, you'll learn actionable strategies, mindsets, and tips to teach your dancers more than good technique. This is a podcast where we can all make a lasting impact and share our passion for dance. Let's do this. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for joining me. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so happy that you reached out and that we got to connect and hear more about your world because I think very quickly we realized how much we share similar values and approach to teaching dance. Will you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So I am Jen Koontz. I own Adrenaline Studio and we are located in Northern Virginia, close to DC area. I've owned the the business since 2003. So my business started out as an after-school program. Um, I started out as a coach in 1995 for high school teams. Been coaching since then. So I'm coming up on, holy cow, almost 30 years of coaching. It's a little <laughs> crazy. But um, my studio uh, started as an idea, started as an after-school community program, which infiltrated into a business, which infiltrated into um, – me deciding that I wanted to open a brick and mortar, but you know, I kind of had two parallel tracks running. I was running after school, after school programming. We were reaching six to 800 kids a year. Kids were like, where's your studio? Where's your studio? And I'd be like, well, you can go here or you can go there or you can go here. And I was also running all-star programs at several different studios at the same time that were, you know, farther away from the house. Um, so kind of parallel tracks of coaching versus owning a business. And eventually I read a book and it was about, it's, I can't remember what the name of the book is and I'm gonna have to find it and share it, but it was such an mm-hmm. impactful book to me. And it was about women starting a second career or starting over or starting something new. Um, I'm an educator. I have a degree in, in um, secondary education. I was a high school teacher. I have two master's degrees in, high, in teaching and thought that's the end all. I'm just going to be this for the rest of my life. I'm going to coach, but there was something itching. And so I read this book and it was just story after story after story of women over 40 who just created a new career, created a new business, started over and made a change. And I was like, you know what? I could do this. This is something I want to do because I like, I wanted the control of running a studio based off of my coaching experience and studio experience growing up, but, but more focused on team style, team dance and a team approach. Um, so I opened the studio with my husband as my business partner in 2013. So we are coming up on our 10 year next year will be our, our 10th season as a, um, competition studio. So 
we started in a little 2,500 square foot space thinking, you know what, we give it a shot. If it blows up in my face and fails, at least I said I tried. And that was sort of my approach of like, I can always go back to coaching. I can always go back to doing what I'm doing, but I'm just going to give this a shot because if I don't, I'm going to look back at myself 20 years from now and say, why didn't you give it a shot? Um, We've moved into a 7,200 square foot facility. We have five studios and, um, you know, it's, it's been great. I think that's amazing. I love hearing the second act part of that story. And that's wonderful. And I think there's a lot of us in dance that feel like, no, there's one track. There's one thing I'm supposed to do. And even if it is the thing that I'm really good at, okay. But like you said, that itch that like, but is there more? Um, so I would, I would love to talk as a studio owner and kind of getting that perspective from you. I'm sure throughout that journey, there's been some highs and lows, right? And I, it sounds like it's the right path for you and you've enjoyed it, but that doesn't mean it's all wonderful. (laughs) There's those those highs and lows. So (laughs) do you feel like there's some of those lows that have helped your studio grow? Like what, and what you've learned in those low points that have helped you um, continue to grow as much as you have? Part of coaching in this industry, we all talk about the relationship with the kids and how, you know, you want to support them and you want to be a part of it. And I've seen over the years, so many times relationships with coaches and kids, not being inappropriate, but being beyond what it really should be. Like there's got to be some boundaries. And I think, you know, we all know USASF rules and we all know safe sport and we all are greenlit and all of these things. And it's so easy now to slide into a, a mentoring relationship that in my opinion is not appropriate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for example, at the studio, we have a lot of boundaries with our coaches and our kids. And we say, you know, you cannot follow them. They can follow you on Instagram because you can't control that, but you should not be following them. So like, I personally don't even follow kids at the studio. They'll follow me, but I don't follow them. Um, calling them, having their number. Um, we always say you should have a group text. You should be on a group me. There always should be a parent. If you're going to reach out to a kid, And it's such a hard line because I'm a mother of two teenagers, two teenage boys. So for me, if I text a kid, I know where my intention is and I know where my boundary is. Like it's my, you know, these are like my children, but Mm -hmm. I don't think that the coaches always get that. And so I think one of the biggest lessons I learned over the years is just really monitoring that boundary because we did have a situation where a coach got so close to some kids and, you know, there's always that like weird mindset of like, Ooh, I could do this with these kids. And then it becomes a problem for you as an owner. And so, um, you know, there was a couple of situations where we came close to that and I just really dug into the boundaries of, you know, how do you separate those boundaries and be appropriate? And I think a lot of that is coaches training. Like we really talk to the coaches a lot about what is a good relationship and what is a relationship that you don't necessarily need to be in. You don't need to give advice on the boyfriend, but you can give advice about, hey, you know, here's some resources you could look at or, um, you know, no, you shouldn't drive them somewhere or no, you shouldn't go meet them for coffee unless it is at a competition and we're all there and we're all together. Or, um, you know, that's been a that's been a big lesson, I think, as an owner is to really dig into the boundaries with your kids to coaches, coaches to parents, parents to owner, parents and coaches. That's a huge one. I've had so many parents who just start getting into those relationships and then they're inviting them to their house to do privates. And then they're, can you babysit my kids? And, um, you know, that always just leads to just areas in your studio where, you know, a coach is like, Oh, I feel so bad. I talked to their mom and you're like, but this is a business. This is a business. You are an instructor. You are an employee. 
that is a client. And so I think that understanding client versus employee, client versus coach is, is hard. And I think that's, I mean, that could be a whole nother podcast. My goodness, just <laughs> talking about how to really help young instructors, young coaches understand where that boundary is. And I have some that are really natural at it. I have some great instructors, like one that's 23, one that's 25 and they get it. They're just like, Nope, I ain't your friend, but mm-hmm. I'll listen to you, but I'm not your friend, you know, and they're really good at it. And I've had others that just sort of muffle that line and have had to like really re- redirect them. So, yeah. You know, that's been the hardest lesson for me is really just learning how to be, have boundaries. So I don't know. I feel like I'm yeah. going off on it. No, it's okay. I, it's a valuable one. If that, yeah. I, I think I agree that boundaries are such a huge part of mm-hmm. our own protection from mm-hmm. burnout. I mean, so I've been coaching 30 plus years. Most people don't make it that far. And a lot of times boundaries are why, and not being right. able to keep that separation and keep that sense of, you know, I know who I am and I can be true to myself while holding that boundary. And it's, that's true for a coach, but I think as an owner, it's a higher level because that now you Mm -hmm. add so many other levels of liability to it, but that's such great, uh, great advice. And I appreciate the transparency. I think that helps a lot when you've said exactly what you will and won't do. And like you said, why it's not just, I'm being mean and I have these rules. It's like, no, it's out of love and care, but I'll show protection for all of us Mm -hmm. and making Mm -hmm. sure this is a safe and healthy place for everyone to be. So I do. I think that's a really important uh, conversation to be had. Yeah. And a quick caveat to that. One of the things that I always make sure that my instructors know is that I've got your back. Like mm-hmm. that's sort of my thing. Unless you're in, unless you break a rule or a <laughs> legal rule, but you know, I always tell the coaches like, I've got your back. Like I will always be in your corner until you give me a reason not to be. And so I think just that constant message of because it is scary when a parent get, when a parent gets upset. I mean, I've had parents upset with my coaching and, you know, oh, sure. you're so mean. And I'm like, really? Like, come on. <laughs> but, um, you know, I've had so many times where a coach has been upset thinking that I'm going to take the side of the parent. And I'm like, no, you know, I think the message to the, to the coaches from me as the owner, they're my team. So not only are we coaching teams, but I have to coach that team. And that right. team has to be whole and that team has to be loved and that team has to feel valued and I have to have that positive growth mindset with them as well. So I always tell them I've got your back. So no matter what happens, if a parent, you no matter what a parent says or a kid says to you, just come to me. I'd rather us talk it through. And so many times coaches have said, hey, here's what happened in class. The kid was upset. The parent might email you. And I'm like, listen, I love that. I don't like surprises. Mm-hmm. So I'm amazing. Thank you so much. And we get yeah. through it and we talk about it. But that's been a huge lesson for me too, is to always I don't think at the beginning I did that. I don't think in the, my first couple of years, I really took the mindset of like, I have to treat these people like my little family and I have to care for them because they're just as vulnerable as the kids. Sometimes they need mm-hmm. to be loved. We all do. I mean, I, I walked in the other day, um, to coach my senior girls and you know, I'm like older than their mothers. And I had on a sweatshirt and this cool jacket and I had a, I had a um, baseball hat on. Like, I just kind of felt, I, I just walked in and practiced like that. And one of the girls was like, oh my God, you look so cool. Like when you just corrected <laughs> us just now, your whole vibe like made it look so cool. And I laughed and giggled and I thought, oh my God, that made my, my whole day. How mm-hmm. stupid, right? But it made my day. And I thought, okay, I got to remember these things. Like it made me feel good. So I need to make sure that those kids feel good. It's those little mm-hmm. things. It's that noticing. It's that support. It's that I've got your back. So, you know, something as little as a silly compliment, 
from me walking mm-hmm. in feeling like I looked horrible that day. And the kid's like, oh my God, you're so cool. Like, you know, just, just funny little things like that. But it's yeah. always a reminder to me to turn around and, and take that message and remember that when I'm dealing with my coaches and my teams and my kids. So, yeah, um, I, you know. I love, I would love to take that the next step. Cause I think you're starting to go into culture and yeah. your yeah. studio has that strong culture. And I think, as you've said, like it comes from you to your staff, to your athletes, you do have to work with your coaches about how they mm-hmm. set up the culture that is in every yeah. room that you're not in. So will you speak to that culture a little bit and how you've created your positive culture? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just the other day, even though we have missions and values and business plans and all that good stuff, just the other day, we, we have a coaches meeting once a month and it's early morning. We do an eight o'clock breakfast. And so I make breakfast for them once a month. Uh, sometimes I buy bagels. Sometimes I actually cook pancakes. You know, I just try to always be energetic and um, excited for them. And they, they don't love that it's an eight o'clock meeting, but it's the one day it's once a month on Saturdays where we have this alternative schedule. And it's the one day that they can all kind of be there. So I'm like, listen, I love you. If you show up, I'll throw food at you. We'll have a great time. So we do a meeting every Saturday or once a month, Saturdays. And I didn't have a great agenda for the last meeting we had, which was just like two weeks ago. And I thought, you know, okay, I don't want to, I'm not going to waste their time. So what would be, what would be an asset for them? Um, so I actually said, you know what, we're going to revisit our mission and our values. And I'm going to have them tell me based on what I've put out, what they think. And so I, um, I put up our mission and I put up what I've had in there and, and it needed tweaking. Like it honestly mm-hmm. was, it needs updating. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to make them do it. And, you know, it's, that's something that I know you've talked about in one of your podcasts about the ownership of, you know, being a part of that process. And yeah. I got some really great feedback from them and some really honest feedback. And I said, you know, and I wrote up the mission of Starbucks and I wrote the mission of Amazon and I wrote the mission of like all these big companies. And I said, you know, this is how they view their mission and their values. This is what I said, which I know needs updating and I know we can do better. So tell me what you think. And they really got into it. I was surprised that they were as into it as they were. Cause sometimes you think Saturday morning, they're like, yeah, whatever. That sounds great. We're competitive, but I was really happy with them. I love that you bring the coaches into it and that you have this conversation with them. Have you ever asked your dancers? Have you ever brought your athletes into the conversation? Yeah, absolutely. I, as a matter of fact, anticipating coming in to talk to you today, I actually spoke to two of my senior dancers. I didn't get a chance to get to the younger ones, but I grabbed two of my seniors, one that's graduating this year who has been dancing since she was 10 years old, no, maybe even nine with us. And another one who um, came to us a little bit later and they both are tremendous leaders. They're both captains on teams. We do captains on our older teams, on our senior teams. And I asked them the same question, like talk about winning versus losing, how to lose with grace and what about mindset? And I didn't give them any direction. I just said, just give me your thoughts. And both of them just knocked it out of the park. And, um, my one senior captain said, you know, the, the true, the team wins with humility, not arrogance. That was huge for her. She said, we've just learned, I've learned so much about winning with humility and not arrogance because that can be taken away from you in a minute. So you win with humility and losing should never be quitting. You can always do better. And she said, um, improvement and losing go hand in hand. Yeah. And I was like, mm, yep, that's impactful Yeah, that she picked up on that. And she said, you know, positive mindset is always striving to be better and she said, positive mindset is contagious. Yep. And this is a direct reflection of a conversation she and I personally had about being a captain and how hard it is. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, it's really hard. And so one of our conversations was centered around the contagiousness of who you are as a captain. 
I said, you know, I'm like your mama. I can go around and I can be mother to everybody, but you now have the ownership to be a leader. And so what are you doing to the girl that you never see that you don't go to school with on your team of 27 kids? Do you go talk to her and make her feel welcome and a part of your team that you're a captain of? And so that's where she really just, I, I, I was very proud of her answer because I was like, okay, she's listening. Right. <laughs> and then my other, um, one of my other captains, she just, she honed in more on the winning versus losing. And she said, you know, we don't need trophies to be proud. Being a part of a dance family and having pride in that is a win and that no trophy or banner or award can ever take that away. Mm-hmm. So she really understands the idea of, you know, perfection is impossible. So you're never going to be perfect. There's always going to be somebody better than you. There's always going to be somebody behind you, but being realistic with your goals and um, pushing yourself on those days that are hard. She said, um, be intentional about a positive mindset because it has to be felt. And she said, coming to practice after a, after a tough loss. I love this. When everyone is feeling stressed and having to prep for another competition only in a few weeks, you have to come in ready to work. She said, you have to be grounded by the opportunity to be there and be humble enough to listen. Um, And the captain needs to show the strength and compassion for that day and and really just kind of be humbled and grounded. Even if it's a win and you've got another competition the next week, you got to come in humbled and grounded and you can't take that with you. Right. You have to put that win aside and say, you know what? We always tell the kids, dance like you're in last place. Mm-hmm. And we always, and our big mantra, I guess this is a good way to lead out, is dance like you're in last place. And one of the things we say often, and I have to give credit where credit's due, my co-director um, says this all the time, and this is I got this from her. She said, you know, where do you win, guys? You win in practice. Mm-hmm. What you do on the, the, the court or the field or the, or the, the stage is just – it's just a fun day and to reiterate what you've been doing, but where do you win? You win in practice because yeah. the wins don't matter out there. What matters is what you do in here. And this is what you're going to take forever with you. So win in practice. Yeah. So that's great. Oh, and clearly they've, yeah. they've heard you. And as you, we were saying before that it's, we, sometimes we feel as teachers that we're just like talking into a void and they don't always hear us, but clearly they hear you (laughs) and it can feel very frustrating (laughs) and lonely that nobody hears you. Uh, but it is that repetition is necessary and it is like, it's Mm -hmm. how you handle every practice and the Mm -hmm. the small day to day that adds up to having that uh, feeling of competition. Yeah. You know, I set up that culture of positivity. I always make sure that me as an owner, that I come in looking professional, that I look rested, that I look um, energized to be there. And so that plays such a huge role because I know we've had coaches that come in and they look like they just woke up and we say, you know, now we say, listen, you got to come in looking like you're rested, energized and ready to go. You got to look the part so that the kids look the part so that they, they respect you and they have that culture of respect, you know, just to reiterate that pride in our culture of, of who we are and why we're here and that the bolt means something to them. One of my instructors, two of my instructors last year, coaches came up with a new logo, like a, not a logo, like a little saying we call it bolts up. And, um, I thought that was Mm. brilliant. And I was like, bolts up. And so we have a little way that we do our little bolt and they throw their bolts up. So it was just really cool. Like that they're engaged in that process and they're proud of it. Um, other ways that I do that, my coaches also are required to once a month, um, observe each other. So they have to pick somebody that they oh, need to observe. Nice. It could be 30 minutes. We don't care. Tag it on to like before or after you're coming or going. But it can't always be in your own discipline. So if you coach jazz, you can't always go to jazz. 
go to Acro that day, go to hip hop, go somewhere else. And then on Saturday mornings, we usually do like a little round table real quick. Tell me what you learned from so-and-so. And it's really cool and valuable to hear what they say about each other. And I think it gives the person who got um, observed pride because they'll say, oh my God, your warm up was so much fun. I loved it. Just something simple as that. And so that's a way that I keep them connected with each other. Additionally, um, you know, the whole team approach of our studio it's a little bit of a hybrid style because we do traditional studio stuff, but it is an all-star studio. We do all-star competitions. We also do solos. We do pull-out groups. But because we're a team, as you know, when you get to competition, we have 24 teams that we compete, and I only have 12 coaches. So we are, you know, we are a smaller staff. Um, but what we do is we make sure that everybody knows everybody's routine. So when you go back to warm up. If my mini jazz instructor needs to warm up the senior hip hop team, that they're going to feel empowered to do so. And by being in, yeah. uh, involved in that environment. So all the kids know all the coaches, the coaches come in and out of rehearsals is not a closed rehearsal. It's not mine. It's ours. I'm a big proponent of we, not I constantly using the word we, yeah. um, another way that I try to empower my coaches and create a culture of, of, um, cohesiveness is, if I'm in a rehearsal and I, you know, we've been doing this a long time as owners, we can spot things right away. They were like, that's not going to work on stage. And so rather than just like, no, this doesn't work. Do it this way. Da, 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 I know best. And then walk out. I pull the coach aside and I'll say, Hey, let's try this. And then, and they'll be like, Oh yeah, let's try that. And sometimes I'll even, maybe not even, I don't have time to do that. I'll say to the kids, Hey guys, your coaches and I were talking about how this might work better if we do it this way. And I always say, we, even though it might've been my idea. I do that on purpose because I don't ever want someone to feel like I came in to the room and um, as mommy and took over, you know, so I'm trying to always yeah. include coaches in that process. Um, even if it's something that I'm like, you have to change this. Sometimes I say to the kids, Hey guys, I just came in and I've been watching and your coaches are doing a million things that are amazing. And I know they've told you this a hundred times, but this is going to have to become a single, not a double, you know, or something like that with the youth kids so that they understand that we're, in that communication together. Carrying that onto the kids, we, I mean, I, I know a lot of studios do this and a lot of teams do this. The kids have to come in looking a certain way. We expect them head to toe to have their hair done. And we have um, the same leotards. We have the same everything. Dance teams are really good at that. Sometimes in the studio, you can get a little slack with it, but we make sure that they're head to toe, ready to go. And we always tell them, dress for the job you want. If you want to be on this team and you want to be, um, front and center and you want to be on senior jazz someday, even though you're a mini, you got to dress like senior jazz. You got to look up, you know, and so we, in reverse, we tell the senior kids, you've got to come in looking professional. Don't come in here looking like you just woke up, fix your hair, make sure you look professional head to toe, dress neat, dress appropriate so that the little kids, when they see you, they're going to be inspired by you. So we try to really have a professional atmosphere by the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we look, the way we walk into a room. Another couple things I do is we do quotes on the mirror. I do quotes on the mirror when we lead up to worlds, which I know that's not a, you know, a groundbreaking. Everybody does that kind of thing. But, you know, we put quotes on the mirror and we have the mirror, uh, the, what do you call it? Those markers that you write yeah, on the windows. Dry erase markers. Do, like, yeah. you know, dry erase markers and stuff. And um, with my seniors, like I, it's so hard with the seniors to keep them motivated and keep that culture of to, con you know, continuing to work hard. So what we do is I'm trying, I tried to think of ways this past two years, I've done something different with the end of our routines, be uh, rehearsals. 
you know, they come out, they're so tired. It's always like, I'm tired. I have homework. I'm tired. I'm tired. That's their constant mantra. I'm just tired. There's a lot going on, you know? And so I was like, all right, well, how do I make this fun? How do we keep the, the culture alive? How do we, you know, keep them together? So at the end of our rehearsal, I mean, there's always, everybody always does a cheer out. Um, you know, I think that's pretty common, but we always, no matter what, we cheer out. I don't care if it's been a horrible rehearsal, a great rehearsal, a long day, we're outside. We always cheer out. That's the last thing we do. You must cheer out. And what I started doing last year is I created a thing called a finisher, which I got from a workout. I used, uh, I've done uh, burn boot camps. I don't know if you ever heard of burn mm -hmm. boot camps. They're, they're popular in our area. And they would do these things called finishers at the end of their workout. And they were hard as crap. They were like the, you know, you have to do like four minutes of lunges and all this. And I was like, holy moly, but man, you felt good at the end. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to start doing that with my kids. We're going to create finishers. So I call it the finisher and I pulled out a poster board and I wrote at the top. I mean, it's so bad. It looks like a, you know, third grader, but the finisher and I named the finishers. Like I call it the 50, 50, or I call it the, the 20 cents, or we call it the, um, the rock your world or, um, you know, lunge to the cliff or, you know, we just come up with funny little names and I give them a challenge and it's after our cheer out. Mm -hmm. So it's optional. So I say, you don't have to stay. You may go. We have cheered out. You are done. If you would like to stay and challenge yourself with the finisher, let's do it. And so we give them the finisher and I say, when you're done, you have to sign the, so I, I like section off a square and they have to sign in a different color that they finished the finisher. And, um, and I make it like a party, like I scream and I yell and I run around the room and I cheer them on and I clap and I'm like, you have to clap until everybody's done. And then, um, when they're done, I'm like, stay and clap. If the last three are like dying, cause they're on their 49th burpee and they can barely <laughs> make it to 50. Um, you know, everybody stays around and cheers for them. And so that's been like a really fun thing for my seniors to, to, they just feel camaraderie there yeah. and they're exhausted, but they're cheering each other on. And that carried over into a competition we did sort of carried over, but it was the same premise. We just did a competition a few weeks ago where um, one of our biggest rivals was on stage. My girls had gone and they got off and we were, went around to watch the, the next team. Um, they love to watch the teams after they're done and cheer them on. And this team in particular, they're amazing. They're like so good. They're, they're so strong, amazing girls, but one of their tricks fell. Like you could tell something went wrong mm -hmm. and you just kind of could see this sense of like, oh crap mm -hmm. in their dancing. Like it started to like, started to just started to go downhill. And we immediately, I was like, let's go. We all started just cheering and clapping and yelling for them. You got this girls, you got this fight for it. And my girls were cheering for them, even though they were both going for the same, the same win. And, um, you know, so I feel like that kind of in itself at practice, cheering each other on kind of translates yeah. into them cheering on other programs. So many amazing little things in there, but I love it because people will ask like, how do you make a positive culture? And they want like, what's the trick? What's the one thing to do? Little yeah, things. It's not like you do this culture workshop on a Saturday and it's done. It's like, no, it's how you approach everything. And so, as you said, like bringing your teachers in on the values is huge. Having, uh, the, the quotes and the language you use, it feels little, but it's the power is that little. Like it's very impactful for the dancers to hear your language, to hear the we, to see the quotes. Like I think all of that makes such a huge difference. One additional thing I'd love to add that I feel like we do a really good job of is one of my co-directors and I, um, we're very big on the language of be a good human. Mm -hmm. Like when we go to competition, we say it all the time, be grateful, be humble, be blessed. And that's what we always say. Be grateful for every opportunity. Be humble in what you do and be blessed that you're here. 
And we just literally before every competition that comes out of somebody's mouth somewhere and the kids start to say it. And what I've seen is our kids at competition, listen, you know, we're not perfect and sure there's some kids that are not humble, but for the most part, I feel like we have a really nice group of kids and they're very humble and um, they just love to cheer other people on. They love to make friends. They love to run around. I mean, of course, I have a co-ed program. I have 25 boys in our program. So, you know, they're, they're a little on display. And now we say, you know, you guys don't realize how, how unique you are and you forget that. So you have to remember that mm-hmm. and how you talk to people and how you, um, how you approach people. And one of my favorite stories from this year, I hired a new girl. Uh, she visited, she'd been in New York for years and grew up cheer and dance and was coaching um, all-star dance. And she called me, she applied to work for us. And, you know, I don't think we're amazing. I mean, there's a million studios around us, like everybody's great. So I was like, all right, well, in our midst of our interview and our conversation, I said, well, can you tell me why, why did you choose, why do you choose to interview with me? Why do you want to be at Adrenaline? Because there's, there's a lot of studios around here that you could go to and get a really valued experience as an employee. So tell me what it is that you like about us. Like what, what turns you on? And she said, you know what? I'm going to be really honest. She said, it all started last year when we competed against you guys at a competition. She said, we were backstage warming up and your kids came over and told my kids, good luck. We can't wait to see you on stage. Mm -hmm. Encourage them in the warm up." And she said, she said, I was so blown away by your kids. Yeah. She said, that was what I spoke to me more than anything, not even to the choreography, nothing. She said, it was just the fact that your kids came over and made my kids feel good. She said, it was unbelievable. And she said, that's why I want to be at your studio. Mm -hmm. And I literally had tears in my eyes as I was talking to her on the phone. And I was like, that's, that means more to me. I don't even know how we did at that competition. (laughs) Who knows? But, um, you know, we we don't talk about our wins and losses. We talk more about those experiences. And I want to take that just one more step further before we wrap up about like once yeah. you've established this culture and you've done all the little things. And as you said, the more you talk about it, the more they will parrot it back, right? The more they hear you and it's coming from them now. Right. So I know that that's the foundation, but then as you said, like sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. It's hard. It doesn't mean that you're always going to have like the perfect mm-hmm. event. So how do you see that culture play into when things are not going well? Like if they do make a big mistake at a competition or they lose or they're disappointed, mm-hmm. um, how they are able to handle that mm-hmm. loss? Yeah. Um, I love that question because we always tell the kids, it doesn't matter if you win or lose, you need to be memorable. We always say, I don't care. We want you to be memorable. That's the the most important thing is that you want to be the ones that people say, oh, I remember that group. You know, winning and losing is hard. Like there are times when, you know, you don't get the partial paid bid or you don't get the grand champ or you don't get that or you don't get this. And listen, we don't get it all the time. You know, like we have a very successful studio, but we don't count our wins and losses. We count, um, you know, how did you, were you memorable? What did you do? How did you impact that performance? Did you do all your job? And, you know, when they come off of the stage, if a trick fell or they gave their all, they just didn't do well. We don't dwell on how they scored there. We just say, you know what? You guys did great. Like, even if they (laughs) literally fell apart, it's always like, we don't talk about it at competition. We don't say you did great. You did bad. You just, guys, you did amazing. We're going to talk about it at practice. And we get to practice and we, you know, we go through the score sheets and score sheets, you know, are Mm -hmm. one person's opinion on that day. And I, you know, I judge too. So I get it. Like, 
you know, there's so much subjectivity that goes into what a judge does. And so where do you focus their win and losses? Like, how do you help them understand why that loss was harder, why that win was, you know, count it with a blessing because you could lose the next competition? Because, you know, um, so we try to take the score sheets and we try to talk about what you can control and what you can't control. And so there are factors that you can't control. You can't control, um, you know, somebody's opinion about your routine. You can't control the choreography judge. But there's three things you can control. You can control your spacing, you can control your uniformity, mm -hmm. and you can control your showmanship. Those are the three things that you can control on that score sheet. So then we say, okay, well, you know what, this, this competition, we got an 89. What do you want to do with the next competition? Like, where do you want your scores to be? And they say, well, we'd like to break 90. Okay, great. That's our next goal. So we don't talk about, you know, getting a bid or we don't talk about, you know, all those little things. We just talk about the team, what the team can control and what that team's goal for the next competition is. And so, um, you know, there, everybody goes to a competition where there's only one other program or your, you know, mm -hmm. your category is one of one. We find that a lot because we have a lot of boys in our program. So we have all these, we have all these all male teams. So our all-male teams end up being one of one a lot. And how do I keep them humbled mm -hmm. but motivated? You know, and so we we take the score sheet and we say, well, is this where you guys wanted to be? And they're like, oh, well, that score was, you know, we, we'd like to do better. Okay, well, let's look at what we did and let's talk about how we can do better. So it's that, that growth mindset of like always being able to be better than I am. Mm. I can get better. And um, so I think that's kind of how we approach the winning and losing. I mean, we've had some, we've had some hard losses in the, in the years. I remember um, my first year, my year one of, you know, my 10th season now, but year one, I was pretty much by myself. I had a very small coaching staff. There was like four of us and my senior co-ed, we got all the way to finals at what we had, we had grand champed and it was a, an amazing routine. Mm -hmm. It just, the stars aligned that year. We just had an amazing routine. We got into the top three going into finals at Worlds. We were third. And I was like, what is happening? And I thought, okay, just hold on to it. Just hold, just, just, just do what you did and like, let's hold on to it. Well, one of our tricks fell and we slid and we dropped to fifth. And so, yeah. and I was like, uh -huh. oh, as a coach, like, oh my God, how am I going to recover from this year one? I failed. My, I didn't work. And you know, like you had all these things, but you know, and the girl was, you know, poor thing was crying. She felt so bad. I was like, listen, whatever. Like you got up there, you got to top three. It's okay. So I think I learned a lot in that moment to not focus on that stuff and to really go, okay, well, how do we back up and let's talk about winning and losing. And, you know, the kids are great about understanding that you win, but then you lose and then you win and then you lose. So let's not count the wins and losses. Let's count how you did each competition. When I love that so much of the stuff, I know you've heard me say like the control, the controllables and that definition of success, I think is really valuable because anytime you can put success mm -hmm. within your own definition, within your control, right? If I say, if, if you define success as something you are capable of doing, then you can evaluate it. You can look at it. I also like how you're right. talking about the score sheet. You can separate the emotion from how right. I felt in that moment to let's look at the evidence what am I taking from this? What am I not? What do I agree with? What do we want to work on? What are we going to own and take control yeah. of for next time? So yeah, I think that's absolutely. a wonderful approach for that. Thank you for sharing. Um, any, uh, I love that we have like kind of yeah. two conversations that just flowed really nicely though about culture and about um, dealing with wins and losses like that. But any like last tidbit of advice you'd like to share with our listeners before we wrap up? Yeah. One thing we do a banquet every year at the end of the year. And, you know, it's always a challenge. How do you approach the banquet? Because there's so many success stories all year long. And, 
we have 175 athletes mm-hmm. and I can't give everybody a, an award. Right. And we, yeah. Um, but one of the things I started doing at our banquet is I write a little talk and I, I talk at the banquet and I try to say, what is something that we did this year that we've not done in the past? Like, what is a shining moment for us? What accomplishment have we made? And every year, I swear, every year I keep thinking, how is it going to get any better? And every year something happens that we've done something that's like topped our, our game, whether it's, um, and it's not always a win. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just it's crazy. And so I always try to recognize the growth of the program in some way that is valuable to everybody in the room and not just, Oh my gosh, this one team went all the way, you know, like who cares? Nobody remembers who won last year. You get to worlds, you get to summit, you get to um, nationals and you're like, wait, who won last year? And you have to like, go back and look it up. Nobody remembers, Mm -hmm. but you can remember routines back and you can remember all those things. So we try to focus at the banquet on, you know, what did we do this year that, that we outdid from last yeah. year? And, um, that's great. And yeah, I think so. maybe that's the, the theme I'm kind of getting from all of this is how much you as the owner, the teacher, the coach, whoever's at the head of your program, how much you have, as you said, that influence in it's how you show up. Mm-hmm. It's in your language, it's in your own mindset mm-hmm. and your own approach and the conversations you have. And that's, what's going to trickle down to everything below you. So mm-hmm. thank you so much, Jen. I really appreciate talking to you and getting to know you. Thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you so much. What a great opportunity. I really, really just am humbled and blessed. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, dance coaches and teachers. If you are a dance educator, it's important to make sure you are on my email list. It's only for educators. It's where I keep you all updated on my mental skills workshops, the Releve membership, and even some special trainings coming up that are only available inside the membership. My email list is where I provide extra resources for dance educators and tips to help you and support you through this teaching journey. If you're listening and you're a coach or a studio teacher, and you think you might ever want to learn more about helping your dancers with their mindset, building their resilience and motivating them, please join my list to make sure you get the inside scoop. So here's how to get on. You go to chelseaparati.com slash email and sign up. There's a link in the show notes to the episode as well. And again, that's where I'll announce special opportunities like the one coming up soon. That's only available inside Releve but mostly it's where I provide more support and resources to help you with your dancers. So go join in at chelseaparati.com slash email, and let's work together and make a more positive impact on our dance industry.